preview the days ahead. These last couple of sermons, the one today, are pretty foundational, really. Uh, next week, we're going to uh, jump into deeper waters. Um, I, next week, I'm going to do a sermon on should a Christian vote? Um, and then to talk about what are the issues that I think, I believe, we should pray through as we do vote. Uh, obviously, the answer to my question, it's should a Christian vote, is yes. It's kind of understood. But I'll tell you why I believe a Christian should vote. I'll also talk about what I believe are primary issues. I've identified six that I think are critical issues from a biblical standpoint that we should all be praying through, and then some pitfalls to avoid. The week after that, we're going to do a sermon on, Gabriel's going to be doing a sermon on listening. Uh, it has become uh, lost to me, this art of listening to each other. Um, we make up in our minds before someone ever speaks just based on any number of issues, um, whether we should even listen to them or not. And so we're going to do a thing on listening, and then after church that day, downstairs we're going to gather together for those who would like to. We're going to hear from um, some brothers in Christ uh, of color who have been raised in Alabama over the last 40 years and hear their stories. We're going to listen. And so you're going to bring your lunch that day. Uh, you're going to bring your own lunch that day. Can I say it again? We're not feeding you. You're feeding yourselves. Uh, or you're going to go hungry and listen. For those who want to come, if you wouldn't mind just on a card, just take out a connection card and say, yes, I want to come to the lunch uh, in two weeks so we can know kind of how to distance the tables and how to set some things up, that'd be great. We're going to just get a note from you on that. And then I'll do a, I'm going to do a sermon that will probably raise a lot of eyebrows uh, in the days ahead. Um, should we have police or not? Um, that'll be in a couple weeks, so buckle up. The next three weeks are going to be fun. Hopefully, we'll still love each other by the end. And again, as with everything here at Fullness, we tether it, try and tether it closely to God's Word because we are people who believe in the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And we also don't want to shy away from issues. We want to say, hey, you know, God is God, and he's bigger than any issue. But let's, as our country faces some tough times, and doesn't every week just seem to get tougher? I mean, it just seems like every week it just gets ramped up. Um, and so we're in, that, we're in that stage now where uh, things are challenging. All right. Remember from uh, our last couple of weeks, let me just, I hate to review everything, but I'm a teacher at heart, and I can't go forward at times without going backwards, so in case you're just jumping in to this, this is your first week here, um, there have been two sermons that have come before this, and I started off by saying to remember that our first allegiance goes to God. I've titled this series God and Country, but in, in that I want us to know that our allegiance first lies with him. Your citizenship is not on this earth. It is in heaven, and that is critical for all of us to remember that our first allegiance has to go to him. Again, I'm not going to, um, I, I can't preach two weeks ago, though I'm tempted to. Uh, refrain allowing national pride to overwhelm Christian wisdom. Um, recognize that God's word is primary in our lives. I think these are foundational truths for us as followers. We lose sight. We we. We get unbalanced if you do any of these three out of order. Any of these out of order will cause you to be unbalanced in your response. You need to resolve to pray for all of our leaders. Uh, whether you voted for them or not, pray for them. 
Pray for them. You know, when, when Paul was talking about praying for his leaders, he didn't vote on who was emperor of Rome. He didn't get to vote on who was uh, his governor. He had, but he still says to the church, pray for your leaders. They're placed there by God. And so we need to resolve to pray for our leaders. And key factor, people, please respect those who are different from you. Um, you know, God didn't make a billion yous. You know why? Because we don't need a billion yous. We need people who are different. We need differences. It's one of the things that it allows us to, to, to be such a wonderful picture of the grace of God is all the diversity in our, in our people. And, and to remember that it's God and then country in that order. That was the first sermon. Second sermon was um, to resist allowing the prevailing flow of the culture to, 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 to push you along. There is a flow to our culture, and it is pushing you. <clears throat> um, I'm going to go home later today, and I'm going to watch uh, golf. You don't have to watch it with me. There's not a billion me's, although the world will be a pretty good place. But there's not. But I'm going to go home and watch golf. I love watching golf, but you know what? In between all the golf, they're going to insert like four minutes of junk um, that's going to try and get my heart to buy this thing or buy that thing or go here or go there. And it, it, subtly and not so subtly, they're pushing me along. The culture, if you're not aware of it, it's pushing you in a direction. It's pushing you in a way to think. It's pushing you to have your affections gone in a certain direction. And you and I, we have to resist that flow. We have to be aware of it when we resist it. And I'm not talking about being anti-cultural just for the sake of being anti-cultural. I'm talking about standing on God's word, knowing what his word says about who we are, where we should give our affections, what we should be doing. And we need to resist it because we need to see a revival in the church. Uh, I, honestly, I care about our nation. I care about our country. But my real concern is for the church of Jesus Christ. To, to, to have a revival of his power and his presence because only in that way will we influence the culture around us because we ultimately declare it's in God we trust, right? We, we have to say it's, it, we trust in our Lord. We trust in our God. Here's, here's the problem with all this culture stuff is it's easy to get hopeless. It's easy to say, you know what? The culture has just gone to heck. And uh, I'm just one little person. And I, what, what, what difference can I make in this culture? What difference can I make in this society? What difference can I make in my school? What difference can I make in the world around me? Can I make a difference in this wicked and perverse generation? What's one little light in the darkness? Born in 1820, Francis Jane Crosby um, became blind from an illness at six weeks old. Now, in 1820, a little girl, born blind, basically, living her whole life in a world of darkness, probably doesn't have much of a future. 
You know, the education system for girls in the early 1800s was not exactly pushing forward and celebrating. But Francis Crosby became a poet, became a writer. She wrote over 8,000 poems, secular poems, 1,000 hymns. I mean, think of that, How 9,000. If you just wrote one a day, that's a long time. <laughs> I'm not doing that math in my head. It's a long time to write that many. She became known as Fanny Crosby. She wrote some of the greatest hymns of the church, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Tenderly Calling Us Home, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. By the end of her life, she was speaking to presidents. She started the Gospel Rescue Mission. She helped uh, establish schools for the blind around the country. She became one of the most influential people of the 1800s. And you would say to yourself, what does a, a blind girl in a, in a world of darkness without education, what future does she have of impacting the culture? And I would say because of God's grace in her life and the fact that she was willing to put herself out there and do what God had anointed her to do, to do she changed her culture. We sit back with many advantages and many things in our lives, and we say, what, how can I be a person of impact in the world around me? If, if it's God and country, and I'm a person of God, how can I be a person of impact in this culture? Last fall, Kathy and I went on a mission trip and slash vacation. We went mission, vacation, mission uh, last year. Was, and the first stop that we went was to Moldova, which Dan had been talking to us uh, about going for the longest time and this little church and this little village has started this um, uh, dairy farm and makes cheese that's become known around the country. They, they feed the people in their community. They work in the schools. They are, their village isn't very big, but they are impacting that village with the grace of God by reaching out in the ways they can. Some 25 years ago now, my dad asked me to go to Albania and teach uh, in Albania. <clears throat> this is my first trip. Um, don't, don't criticize the style of clothing, uh, if you don't mind. Um, this is like mid-90s, right after um, communism had fallen. The church had been established. It was a totally communistic country, atheistic totally. There were no religions at all. So when communism fell... There was a rush, and some people came to know the Lord, but, uh, and a church was established there in Tirana, Albania, and my dad got hooked up with some people who asked him to go teach, and he asked me to go teach, and so I went to teach, and honestly, it was one of those kind of situations like New Testament times, where my dad, the first time he went in, he, he said, okay, this is like when Moses did this, and you can see all the people talking to each other. Uh, and they're like, and my dad stopped, and he's like, is there a problem? And they said, we don't know this Moses. We don't know this Moses who you speak. All they'd heard was Jesus. All they knew was Jesus saved them. And that was the, that was the environment he went into. And so when I went, um, the first face that greeted me when I got off the plane, and literally, you just got off the plane, you went to a little house, and you were in the city. 
that's how things were in Albania in the 90s. Now, today they have a big terminal and all sorts of stuff. And my dad wasn't with me. He just sent me. And I took Darren with me, which was crazy because Darren had never been out of the country. And for those of you who don't know Darren Davis, uh, it was a wild time. And so we just got, and I didn't know anybody. And the first face I saw was this guy in, who's dressed in black. His, his name is Tony Gogu. And Tony was, uh, a, he just graduated from law school, college, just given his life to the Lord, spoke really great English, the one thing he didn't learn. Our hearts were knit together in the early 90s. He was my first translator. I taught the book of Romans uh, to this room full of young Albanians who were hungry for the word of God. And Tony was just, he, he didn't know what he was going to do with his life. You know, he just was working in the church, giving his life to the Lord. And so we, I got to go back to Albania uh, after we went to Moldova, uh, sorry, that's the only picture I had of me and Tony. I was in a, he, he signed me up for a half marathon, uh, and then he told me he wasn't running it. He just signed me up to run it. He said, uh, I know some friends who are responsible for this half marathon. I'm sure you're in shape enough for this. And I ran with the mayor of Tirana, and it was, it was a fun day. But Tony went from working in this church to going back in the legal profession to becoming um, the second, like, the assistant to the attorney general of the country of Albania. Uh, he also worked in the judicial system, in the banking system. He became one of the most influential people, really, in the country of Albania. They kept wanting to push him into other political realms. And he's like, no, I'm going to give my life to God. And I kept saying to him, Tony, you are giving your life to God because you're in places no one else could go. He married a wonderful uh, woman named Eddie. Uh, Edlira, Eddie, uh, and he had have three children, and Edlira is on television all the time. She's like, I, I hate to call her the Martha Stewart of Albania, but she's always on these cooking things and doing children's stuff, and anytime they need a go-to person to talk about the family, they call her. We got to go uh, be with her um, uh, for a television taping while we were there. They've started, um, he, he became, um, oh, I Go back. I'm sorry. I got too excited. Mona, thank you. Um, he, he became um, a real leader, and he and Eddie have started a family ministry, kind of like focus on the family for Albania. They call it Pro Familia. They're, they're, they're teaching kids to read. They're, they live out now in a village outside of town. He, he goes into the schools and teaches. They, they help agriculture. Here's my point. Wherever you start from, you never know if you give yourself every moment of every day to what God has for you, how you can become a person of impact in the world around you. Whether it's a little village in Moldova or this uh, to impact a whole nation in a country like Albania, please, my begging you this morning to open your eyes and to see that the fields are wide unto harvest and you can make a difference. And you may say, well, you know, our culture is just not friendly to that. Hey, welcome to the Bible. <laughs> welcome to the Bible. Let's start with Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and went down to Egypt, uh, got falsely accused, thrown into prison, followed after God every step of his, his life. And you know the story becomes the second most influential person in. He was not under a godly ruler, but he was a person of impact. David was anointed king, and it took him 7 to 14 years before he ever becomes king. And during that time, he has to rule under a maniac who's trying to kill him, who's throwing swords and spears at him. Esther 
is, a, is, is taken off into a foreign land and is, is a woman in a culture that doesn't value women and is used by God to save her people in that culture. The Ephesian church was written that the, they were primarily slaves and Paul is writing to them to talk about what a people of impact they could be. Do you see the point? None of these people are serving. In, they, they weren't saying, man, my culture is going great. I'm doing wonderfully in this bright and shining. Sometimes God takes the darkest culture, puts a candle in the middle of it, and it changes everything. One of the ones that you and I know best is Daniel. You know, Daniel is taken as a slave into a foreign culture. And becomes an incredible person of impact in that culture. And so from the life of Daniel, just for a moment this morning, I want to highlight a couple of things about how you can be a person of impact in our culture. What are some things that, that, that a person of impact is like from the book of Daniel? You with me? So because I believe God is calling us to be people of impact in the world around us. Your, God's goal in your life is not so that you can make enough money so that you can retire and that you can move to the mountains and sit on a porch the rest of your life. I think he has a greater vision. That's my vision, by the way. But yeah, I think God has a higher vision for you than simply that. He wants you to be a person of impact in the world around you. And a person of impact has godly convictions. A person of impact lives by godly convictions. What is it that's guiding your life? Hello? What is it that's guiding your life? I mean, you're making decisions every moment of every day about what you're going to do with the next moments of your life. What is it that's leading and guiding those moments? Daniel's was the convictions that God had given him. Do you remember when Daniel... He's a slave. I mean, he's a, he's a um, refugee, really. He's taken off into captivity into Babylon after his nation falls. Now, Daniel is put in the court of the king. He, he is actually placed in a position that a lot of people would have thought, oh, I'm in good shape to be, you know, carried out of my nation. And he, he wasn't like Ezekiel, who was in the refugee camp by the river. You know, Ezekiel, he didn't have a lot as far as, like, prominence going for him. Daniel had kind of what you would say is the cushier life, if you want to think about it. I mean, he's in the king's court. He's eating good food. You know, it's, it's nice. It's not in a tent by a river somewhere. But in that, they say, we're going to take the best and the brightest. We're going to train them to be servants for our king. So he goes in and they start feeding him the food of Babylon. And Daniel has convictions. Now, you could say, they're legalistic, like, oh, he's thinking of, I don't eat this, I don't eat that, it's all legal. But I, I don't think it's legalism, it's a matter of the heart for Daniel. It's a conviction for him. See, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his, in his heart. And, and I want to say this to all of us today. If you don't purpose in your heart not to defile yourself, you will be defiled. You have to make a conscious decision. You have to make it to say, I purpose because of God's power and presence in my heart not to, to be defiled. Because this culture 
I know this language is so weird to us. It's always trying to defile us. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always trying to push us in a direction. And it's, it's not going to stop. Unless people of conviction live by their convictions and say, I'm standing here. I'm standing for purity and I'm standing for holiness. I'm not doing it from a legalistic standpoint. I'm doing it because God saved me. God redeemed me. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. His presence dwells in me. And as a result, I don't want, I don't want the defilement of the world to alter the presence of God. I don't want it to work against what he has for me. And so Daniel purposed in his heart. Now, again, it was food and drink. And you can say, well, it just doesn't seem like that big a deal. But it set the course for Daniel's life to say, I'm not going to compromise here. So that when later another compromise came, he'd already decided. I purposed in my heart not to defile myself. See, I, I, I just don't think most people wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to ruin my life today. Today is the day I'm going to make the stupidest decision that's going to ruin my marriage and ruin my family and destroy my kids and lose my job. Today is the day. I think it happens way back in the little stuff when they say, no, I'm not going to compromise here. No, I can compromise on this. I can compromise on this. Then they get down the road and that's the day. Because they've made a ton of decisions that have gone against their convictions. And their heart has known it all along. The Spirit of God has been in them saying, don't. Don't do that or do this. Could go either way. If you start living by your convictions, you, 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 they'll give you courage to stand for the day. Look, I want to encourage you. We've got um, young people here. We've got those who are youth and college age. I don't, I don't know that courage precedes convictions. I think convictions precede courage. In other words, you, you, you need the conviction to stand, and it will give you the courage to be able to. Because if not, then it's going to be, in your life, there's going to be this dynamic of trying to either... Um, to either please God or please people. Please God or please people. And I think that's where Daniel was. And again, he's in a very tough situation, but you're going to be faced with this all the time. And if you're a people pleaser, good luck. Really, because I'm, I'm with you. I want people to like me. Who doesn't want people to like them? Anybody? Anybody's like, no, I don't want people to like me. No, I'd rather be disliked than liked. No, no, no. We all want it. Some people, people to like us. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll compromise your convictions in order to get people to like you. When the convictions, you need to stand for what God has. I'm going to move on. And people of convictions, you'll live in an age where you won't try to, to follow the culture, but instead you'll decide to make an impact. And those two choices are forever before us. Am I going to follow the culture and allow the culture, or am I going to make an impact in the world around me? And convictions will give you the courage to stand in that place. 
Convictions will also motivate and inspire you. Inspiration, breath. It, it, it will fill you up to overflowing. And here's the, the difficulty, and I want to say this as I move forward, is there's a di difference between a conviction and a legalistic appraisal of life. Legalism is saying, I'm going to live like this in order to get God's approval. If I don't, then he'll be mad at me and he's going to punish me. A conviction says, my God loves me and has redeemed me, and I'm going to stand for the one who loves me. Jesus, you love me. We sang it this morning. There's a major difference in the position. Daniel's standing in a position, I believe, of convictions. And as a result, he's motivated. He's inspired. And as a result... You've got to decide, am I going to be popular or am I willing to be unpopular? And am I going to succumb to the pressure or am I going to compromise? Really not compromise should, is the way it should be listed. So you need to stand and understand that a person of impact, if you want to be that, you live by godly convictions Get yourself in God's word. Understand what God says. Live among God's people. Be, be filled with God's spirit in order to get those convictions. And then a person of impact will speak with godly favor. Godly favor. In verse 9, I read you verse 8 where Daniel had decided in his heart not to defile himself now God has caused. Who caused it? God caused it, not Daniel. Now God has caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Daniel, Daniel receives favor and sympathy because God caused it, because Daniel stood for his convictions. He was willing to be a person of an impact. In chapter 20, um, verse 20, So he goes through, he says to them, hey, I, I want to um, not eat this food, test us, we'll get to that passage in a second. And when he does, it shows that in every matter of wisdom and understanding which, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Daniel had the favor of God on him because he was willing to not defile himself, to be a person of impact. Back um, when I was younger, I was raised in Florida, as many of you know, and there's this big drug chain, drug store chain uh, in Florida. There's, there's some pretty big drug chains in Florida too, but uh, a drugstore chain in Florida called Eckerd's. Uh, it was run, owned and operated by a guy named Jack Ecker. Just started his neighborhood drugstore. It grew, 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 grew. Um, had, a, I don't know, a thousand locations. Um, and Jack Ecker, uh, later in his life, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he uh, had godly convictions, started developing godly convictions. One day he went into one of his drugstores, one of the thousand drugstores that by then he was um, still technically the owner of, and he went in and he saw behind the counter um, that they were selling Playboy and Penthouse behind his, his counter. And he, he left there really bothered and said, I, I, um, this is, I, I, don't, I don't want the store that's got my name on it to be selling pornography. 
And so he went to the, the guy who's now CEO and president of the company because he was still the name and the owner, but he wasn't the CEO and president. He said, hey, I want to pull all these magazines from all of our stores. And the CEO and president said, you have no idea what that's going to cost us. That is a ton of money that we're making off selling these. And he said, you know what? I, 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 wanna, I have to live by my convictions. I have to live by this path that God has now has me on. And so Eckerd's, and I remember when it was a headline, uh, decided to pull all of these magazines out of their stores. And incredibly, Eckerd's then boomed. Even more stores opened till finally they sold it to, I don't know, Rite Aid or someone for tons more money. And, 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 and it, it was like the favor of God kind of rested on a, a person who said, I'm willing to give this up in order to do this and to make the convictions. I don't have the numbers in front of me, how much they grew by, but it was pretty, pretty phenomenal what God did in their chain. Now, I, I'm not saying that when you make a stand every time against evil, God is absolutely going to bless you. You know, some people have died for taking a stand for God. That, you, you, don't get the, you don't get at times the to see the outcome of what it means when you make a stand for the Lord. But you make a stand no matter what. Because Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is... Either way, I win. Wait a minute, Pastor. I'm not sure if I'm winning here. Oh, you're winning. If you're willing to speak with godly convictions, you will have godly favor. I mean, this life is but a breath right? It's like a vapor, but eternity and it'll give you the ability to display godly confidence. It'll give you the ability to display godly confidence in the way you live. <clears throat> One of the things that most troubles us is living a life with no confidence. We, we just don't know, you know, what is right and what is wrong. But I think God's spirit, God's truth indwells us. His God's word has been given to us. We can live lives of confidence. Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days. And then it goes from there. <clears throat> A number of years ago, um, there's this bishop who, um, his name was Philip Brooks, and he wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem. And he's on his deathbed, he's dying, and he tells his, the people that are helping him, I don't want to see any visitors. <clears throat> and he had a friend who was named Robert Ingersoll, who was a famous writer, atheist, philosopher. But he said, I do want to see Robert Ingersoll. And so Robert Ingersoll comes in to see him. He says, Philip Brooks, I am so honored that you would, that to the bishop, I'm so honored that you would see me. And Philip Brooks said to him, I'm laughing about it. He said, you know, all the rest of my friends are followers of Christ, and I know that I'm going to see them. You, I'm not so sure of after I die. It was a confidence, not ugliness, but just this confidence. I, I don't need to see them now because I'm going to see them in the future. But you, I don't know about. 
We need to display confidence. I think it'll result. Having these godly convictions lead to God's favor, which in turn gives us godly confidence. And I think the result is true. If we're not living in confidence, could it be that we're missing the favor of God, which is because we're not living by his convictions in our life? A number of years ago, this is about four years ago. I got a lot of Albanian stories today. But um, about four or five years ago, I decided to, um, I took Olivia. She was in high school. And I, Olivia was like my mom's favorite grandchild. Now, I know this is being, the rest of my kids, they know it already. So it's not like it was a secret. She, the week before my mom died, she was asking to see Olivia. Uh, always her favorite. So uh, my mom loved Albania. So after she passed away, my dad and I were going on a trip, and we decided to take Olivia with us. And Olivia had not been out of the country, and so we were flying from Birmingham to Atlanta, and I think to Rome, and then Albania. And the, the, the schedule was pretty tight. Almost like when I get off the plane, I'm going to have to go speak at like three events. It, you know, they kind of book you on these mission trips like you're somebody. Uh, and they want you to, they want to hear you speak, so you go and speak. So we, um, we experienced mechanical difficulty on the plane leaving Birmingham, which meant we missed the connection from Atlanta to Rome. So they say to me, we're going to put you on a plane from Atlanta to Paris. When you get to Paris, you'll, you'll get on another plane. It'll take you to Albania. You'll still make all your stuff. It's no problem. Okay. So we're late. We get on the flight to Paris. We get to Paris. I go to the next airline where I'm told I have a ticket to go, and the guy goes, oh, we have your ticket, but we have no seats. And I'm just like, okay, I don't think you understand the purpose of a ticket. Uh, a purpose of a ticket is I'm supposed to have a seat on the plane. And he goes, oh, there's nothing I can do, you know. French. So, sorry, sorry, Michelle. And so, um, anyway, I'm in France, and they don't want to put me on this flight to Albania, so... I'm getting a little worked up, um, which I have a tendency to do in these situations, kind of like, then I realize my, you know, high school daughter's standing there, and she doesn't really need to witness this. So I'm like, okay, take a breath, just recenter yourself, um, and figure out what to do. And I'm like, okay, no seats, I understand. When can I get out? Like, oh, you have to call Delta, blah, blah, blah. And so I call Delta, and they're, they're like, okay, we'll get you out tomorrow morning. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. And I said to Olivia, hey, welcome to Paris. We're stuck here overnight. So at like midnight, we go out to the Eiffel Tower. I mean, Olivia's going to look back on this trip and she's going to remember us going to Albania and she's going to remember um, this mission trip with her dad. But I, we were talking about this just this week. This is the reason I'm even thinking about it. And she was like, remember that night we spent in Paris? How we got to go to the Eiffel Tower and eat dinner downtown. And none of that was, none of that was planned. And really, I could have wrecked the whole thing with my suck what attitude. <laughs> because I was put out. You know, <laughs> I need to get and speak to this church um, and this event that I'm going to. But there's some point in your life where you realize that all right, God's got me on a, he's got a plan and a purpose behind what he's doing. I'm going to live according to the convictions. I'm, I'm going to find joy in, I'm going to, in all circumstances. I'm going to say thanks. 
God, for this moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live to display his favor, even to my children and to the world around me. And I think as a result, it gives you confidence to relax and do what God has called you to do. Daniel faces some weird stuff coming up um, right after this. He faces a circumstance where the king says to his men, his wise men, hey, I had some bad dreams, and I need somebody to interpret the dreams. And the, the wise men say, okay, tell us the dreams. We'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, no, I don't trust you dudes. I, I want you not only to interpret the dream, I want you to figure out what the dream was, and then you tell me. And they're like, well, there is no way we can do this. And the king says, okay, I'm going to kill all of you. Maybe we can figure out a way. Daniel hears about it and says, hey, give me, give, just give me some time to pray and seek after God. Now, I don't know about you, but man, Daniel doesn't show up at that moment all of a sudden saying, I can hear from God. I think Daniel has lived a life already of saying every moment of every day I can hear from God. And now in the most impossible of circumstances, I'm going to display godly confidence to the world around me. And he hears from God. He goes to the king. He says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions had passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are... These And Daniel tells him the dreams, tells him the interpretation, and it causes an ungodly king to say to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and is a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Pagan king, ungodly king. By the way, it's not like Nebuchadnezzar is suddenly like, I'm going to live for God the rest of my life. I mean, he doesn't exactly change, but he does recognize that the God that Daniel worships is different than the God of his people. It causes Daniel to have favor, gets gifts, made him ruler. Now, the point is, okay, here's what some people do. They go to verse 48 and say, oh, I want to live rich. I want to live in favor. I want to live here. God is obligated to put me here. No, 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 no. That's not where God was obligated. He, he used Daniel because Daniel said, I refuse to defile myself. I'm going to live by my convictions. And as a result, I'm going to stand against the culture. And I'm going to, I'm going to just live confidently before the Lord. And the Lord used Daniel in that position and favored him. And you don't ever get the picture that Daniel is like, oh, this is great. Now I can just relax for the rest of my life. Daniel continues. I mean, he's going to face some tough circumstances, right? He's got the whole Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego thing coming up that he's going to be a part of. He's got the part where the people are going to say, you can't pray to God or you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. Again, we've been through this story, but do you know how old Daniel was when he got thrown into the lion's den? He was like 70 years old. Every moment of every day for all of his life, he lived as a man who stood for his convictions. And as a result, Daniel has an impact on the culture around him. You have that choice as well. And I want to encourage you to become a person of impact. Live by godly convictions. 
You better know what those are. Speak with godly wisdom. If you have those convictions, to have God's word and his spirit indwelling you, it'll allow you to speak that godly wisdom, which will then to display to the world around you godly confidence. I don't know where this election's going. I'm not prophetic in this sense. I don't know who's going to win. I don't know where we're going to end up. I, I, I don't know. Here's what I do know. It's a mess now, and it's going to be a mess a year from now. You can call it what you want. It's a mess. Our culture's a mess. Our politics are a mess. Our government's a mess. If you're waiting for an election to determine your convictions, good luck. Instead, hear from God now. Know how to stand on your convictions. Know where God is. Pray, pray, pray. Seek after God. Because you'll be able to live in him and make a difference in the culture around you. That little blind girl, Fanny Crosby, one of her last hymns that she wrote that's it's one of my favorites. This is written by a blind girl. It says this, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide. When the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. And a smile, she was blind, she hasn't seen a smile. And a smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him. When redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. God is calling us to live lives of conviction In this life, which will lead us to the next. Because he's calling for us to be people of impact. You have the opportunity to be a person of impact in your school. You have an opportunity to be a person of impact in your workplace, in your family, in this church, in this city, in this culture. And God is calling us to live in such a way by godly convictions that we, like Daniel, are able to stand every moment of every day and make a difference in the world around us. Pray with me. Lord, we believe that you're calling us to be a people of impact in the world around us. And I pray that, dear Lord, you would help us to not... We we want to make a difference in this country that you've planted us in. We believe we were born for such a time as this and such a place as this for a purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to live lives of conviction, lives that, that stand on your truth, empowered by your presence, so that we make a difference in, like Daniel in the world around us. Lord, we love you with all that we are and pray that as we are directed by you in the days ahead, that you will give us wisdom, favor, confidence to go against the tide of culture to change the world around us. Thank you, Lord. I pray for every person in this place that we don't go from this place just like we are now, but instead, Lord, we be changed so that as we go from this place, we will live lives of favor before you. Thank you, Lord.
Church, just agree with me in prayer about this. Um, our brother, friend, Phil James, is back in the hospital. He's in the NICU. Uh, not NICU, the neuro. It is neuro intensive care. So it is that, but not neonatal. Neuro, um, there's been a return of some of the issues that he's, and they need the wisdom of the Lord and need healing. So please just join me in prayer right now for him and Cindy as they're navigating their way through that today. Lord, I pray for Phil and Cindy, and I just lift them up to you. We agree in this place. We continue to ask for uh, your healing on Phil when the doctors say there is no healing. When they declare this is hopeless, we still hang on to hope. And so, Lord, we continue to pray for his healing. We pray for favor to be on Phil and Cindy as they have some really critical decisions to make today uh, about the days ahead. Lord, just show them. And we agree together as the body of Christ. For our brother and our friend. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.